Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Do you live in a zip code that's a harbinger of failure? The newly discovered secret to anglerfish's parasitic success? The woman who returns items left behind in used books to their owners? And the 87-year-old athlete who just became the oldest man to complete the Ironman World Championship? Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Going back into the archives on this one, did you know that there are certain zip codes whose purchasing behavior can predict what products will flop and even which political candidates will lose? So-called Harbinger customers or Harbinger households are the folks who liked Diet Crystal Pepsi, Frito-Lay Lemonade, Colgate kitchen entrees and other doomed products, and whose penchant for those unpopular products is so reliable it can be used to predict if a future product will succeed or not. This is based on a 2019 paper in the Journal of Marketing Research, which built on a previous 2015 study from the same journal. The 2015 study coined the term Harbingers of Failure and noted, quote, Their early adoption of a new product is a strong signal that a product will fail. The more they buy, the less likely the product will succeed. The findings challenge the conventional wisdom that positive customer feedback is always a signal of future success. End quote. The study illustrated how individual customers who purchase one product that fails have a tendency to purchase more failing products. Quoting a summary from the new study, Anderson A. All, 2015, documented the existence of customers who systematically purchase new products that fail. Their findings were based on purchases of new products at a chain of convenience stores that sells consumer packaged goods, or CPG. They divided the new products into two subsets and used the outcomes in the first subset to classify customers as harbingers or not. They then showed that customers who purchased flops in the first subset of products, the harbingers, were also systematically more likely to purchase flops in the second subset. Adoption of a new product by these harbingers was a strong signal that the new product would fail. They argue that in the setting they study, it is unlikely that the finding is due to observational learning or information spillovers between customers. Instead, they attribute the finding to harbingers having unusual tendencies that are not representative of other customers. Adoption by the harbingers is a signal that other customers are less likely to adopt the product, which leads to product failure. End quote. In the more recent study, the researchers dug a bit deeper and found these households could be markers for entire Harbinger zip codes. Quoting Boing Boing, In the new paper, the researchers consider very large datasets on consumer goods and fashion purchasing, house buying, and political donations to examine whether being a Harbinger household correlates to other predictors of failure, and find that these households are also likely to buy real estate that makes lower profits or generates larger losses than nearby properties. They're likely to buy fashion and consumer goods that get discontinued due to lackluster sales, and they're more likely to donate to losing political campaigns than winners. The researchers also claim that Harbinger households voluntarily cluster, that when a Harbinger household moves, it is likely that it will move to another Harbinger zip code, and non-Harbingers move to non-Harbinger zip codes. Moreover, Harbingers don't appear to learn their preferences from one another. A non-Harbinger household that locates in a Harbinger zip code doesn't alter its purchasing and political contributions to loser products and candidates. Harbinger households tend to be white, 
suburban, and headed by older, less educated single parents. They tend to make above-average use of coupons, and the coupons they use have above-average values." End quote. There is a ton of data that they dug into and analyzed to reach their findings. One thing that I found particularly interesting is on the political candidate front. Quoting from the study, The findings confirm that Harbinger zip codes are systematically more likely than their neighboring zip codes to contribute to congressional election candidates who lose their elections. The effect is particularly strong in the zip codes with the lowest 5% of average success rates in the new product purchases. End quote. So just like the more of a product Harbingers buy, the more likely it is to fail, the Harbinger zip codes with the more flop purchases are also more likely to contribute to losing campaigns. So if you are someone who consistently likes weird products that get taken off the market, which honestly might be me, big fan of Crystal Pepsi over here, and that weird coffee soda that Coca-Cola tried out for a few years, and Butterfinger BBs, and those Oral-B, like, brush-your-teeth-with-your-fingertip cleaner things. All right, so apparently if you're like me, product developers might have their eyes on you to help them figure out if their product will flop or not. And while I don't think it's being done yet, political campaigns might be eyeing you, or us, sometime soon, too. You know anglerfish? The deep-sea fish with the little light bulb kind of thing hanging off the tops of their heads? You might be familiar with their particular type of sexual parasitism, wherein male anglerfish, who are a fraction of the size of female anglerfish and consist mostly of a huge nose and reproductive organs, they mate with a female by biting her and then merging to become a part of her. Literally, like their circulatory systems are merged and he becomes dependent on her for nutrients, like a baby in the womb. Scientists have known about this parasitic behavior in anglerfishes for a century. But a question has always remained about how exactly this happens when one would expect there to be at least some level of tissue rejection. Ted Peach, professor emeritus at the University of Washington School of Aquatic and Fishery Sciences and the world's leading expert on anglerfish, compared it to the difficulties encountered during organ transplants in humans. So he and Thomas Beam, a medical director and immunologist at the Max Planck Institute of Immunobiology and Epigenetics in Germany, set about studying the anglerfish's genome a few years ago. Quoting Futurity, They began by looking at the structure of major histocompatibility antigens, or MHC antigens. These molecules are found at the surface of the body's cells and signal alarm to the immune system when the cells are infected by a virus or a bacterium. To make sure that all pathogens are efficiently recognized, the MHC molecules are extremely variable, so much so that it's hard to find identical or near-identical forms in any two individuals of a species. This feature is at the root of the tissue-matching problem that plagues human organ and bone marrow transplantation. To their great surprise, the researchers found that anglerfishes that utilize permanent attachment largely lack the genes that encode these MHC molecules, as if they had done away with immune recognition in favor of tissue fusion. Additionally, they found that the function of killer T-cells, which normally eliminate infected cells or attack foreign tissues during the organ rejection process, was also severely blunted, if not lost entirely in anglerfishes. Further analysis also indicated that antibodies, another powerful weapon in the arsenal of immune defense, are missing in some anglerfish species. For humans, the combined loss of important immune facilities observed in anglerfishes would result in fatal immunodeficiency, Beam says. End quote. 
Instead, anglerfish have a different and improved type of immune system, which developed independently and differently than the tens of thousands of other types of vertebrates. While the details of this immune system have not yet been uncovered, it wouldn't just connect the dots on some of the mysteries of the anglerfish, it could mean huge things for humans, too. Finding other innate ways of staving off disease could lead to new solutions for people who are immunocompromised. And all thanks to the remarkable and weird wonder that is the anglerfish. And I can't end this segment without playing you a quick clip of Hank Green's A Song About an Anglerfish. Yeah, the deep sea anglerfish have no reason to be happy, but it has no freaking idea what else to be. The deep sea dwelling anglerfish never has to find a mate. They are always there together when it's time to procreate. See one dark night, a young that bites the female on her side, and then slowly he becomes a sperm-producing parasite. And if we could say he lives at all, he lives until she dies, and until that day he literally never leaves her side. Yeah, you can't hit the night if you live your whole life without light, and you can't hit the fish. You've only ever eaten fish, and you can't feel alone if it's all you've ever known. Yeah, the deep sea anglerfish has no reason to be happy, but it has no freaking idea. If you've ever sold or donated a stack of books and then kicked yourself because you forgot to take out something important that you left in between the pages, you might one day get it returned to you thanks to a 30-year-old high school teacher from Oklahoma. Emma Smrecker spends her time visiting used bookstores anywhere she travels, but she doesn't look for particular titles. Instead, she combs through the pages looking for left-behind items and then does her best to find their owners. Receipts, travel tickets, dried flowers, coupons, business cards, and other random items that people use as ad hoc bookmarks are most common, but occasionally she'll happen upon photographs, postcards, letters, or drawings, some with enough of a hint that she's able to track down the previous owner. Quoting the Washington Post, Her captivation with used books, and more specifically the relics that occasionally lie within them, started two years ago, when her husband gifted her a vintage French book. Burrowed between the pages was a crinkled receipt from a cafe in Montreal. She wondered how the book got from Canada to Oklahoma City, and whose hands had turned the pages before her own. I thought about the person who had this book before me, and what their day was like, said Smrecker. Did they buy this book and then stop by the cafe and have a snack while they read? As a French teacher, I also wondered if their first language was French, or if, like me, it was their second language. I started wondering about the history of things I own. I began going through books in my house and finding what little impressions had been left, like notes in the margins, and I decided to create a photo documentation project, end quote. That photo documentation project is housed on Instagram at inusedbooks, link in the show notes, and on it you can peruse the many items Smrecker continues to unearth in used books, sometimes with a short description of the item, a transcription of any notes, and a listing of which book it is, which is especially fun on photos of handwritten notes in the book commenting on the reader's impression of it, like one in Ride the Lightning by John Lutz that says with emphatic underlining, I did not like this book. Smrecker's biggest hunt came to a conclusion last month, but started nearly a year ago at a half-price books in Oklahoma City, where she found a copy of We Don't Die, George Anderson's Conversations with the Other Side, that had a photo strip of a man and a young girl wedged between the pages. One of those sets of four photos that you take in booths at the mall or amusement parks. After posting the photo all over social media asking if anyone could identify them, Smrecker reached out to the local news station, who aired a segment on the lost photo strip which just so happened to be viewed by the family in the photo. 
It was a father and daughter posing in the photo booth about 13 years ago, and the mom happened to be watching the news the night of the segment and recognized them immediately. Smecker sent the photo strip to the family, who said they were especially happy for the discovery in these dark times. Smecker also once found a 127-year-old unpublished poem in a letter to the Lancaster Gazette in Ohio. She found the descendants of the man who wrote the poem and discovered that he had published many other poems in the Lancaster Gazette, but never that one. So she reached out to the newspaper, and they published it on the front page. On her Instagram, there are relics spanning several eras. A note passed on a school bus in the early aughts, a calendar page from 1931, a Garfield comic strip, a MySpace-era mirror selfie, a family photo from the 1980s, a war bonds stamp, an Elvis Presley postcard, a $2 bill, a $2 Canadian bill, newspaper clippings from World War II, and so much more. It's incredibly captivating to scroll through the account and peek into people's lives from so many different places and times. Smrecker says of her project, quote, we do these tiny little gestures that leave a piece of who we are behind, and we don't think about it all that much. There's just something romantic about how we are actually connected to so many people we've never met before. End quote. And finally today, an 87-year-old man who just won the Guinness World Record for being the oldest man to finish the Ironman World Championship. He apparently completed the Ironman in October of 2018, but it was just verified by Guinness last week. Hiromu Inada was 85 years and 328 days old when he ran the triathlon in Hawaii. The Ironman triathlon consists of a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile run. Hiromu completed the race in 16 hours, 53 minutes, and 49 seconds. I struggle to run for an entire hour straight, and I'm only 30, so the idea of going for nearly 17 hours straight 50 years from now is just, yeah, no way. Hiromu is one impressive dude. And he acknowledges that it is tough, telling the Japan Times, quote, It's an extremely tough race for an old man like me, but there's a part of me that wants to challenge myself and see how long I can keep competing. And if there are people rooting for me, then I think it's my obligation to meet their expectations. End quote. Hiromu only started running triathlons when he turned 70, having taken up swimming 10 years prior to stay healthy after retiring from his job as a TV reporter. He's taken part in the Ironman World Championships for the past eight years, but only completed it three times. Only. You have to finish in 17 hours for it to count, which is why he hasn't finished in the past, but this year he made it with seven minutes to spare. He set a record for being the oldest man to finish it back in 2016, but then broke his own record by doing it again in 2018. The next oldest finisher in 2018 was 76 years old, which is quite a gap, but also still very impressive. Hiromu competes in his age bracket in the triathlon, and apparently there is one more age bracket above him, 90 years and over, which his coach hopes Hiromu will compete in one day. And given his dedication and perspective, I think he just might. Quoting Hiromu again, I have to keep all my thoughts focused on the triathlon, what I should eat, what my daily rhythm should be. I've lived my 80s, and I have never felt so fulfilled. I'm too busy to have time to take it easy. I think of now as my youth. End quote. So 
So yesterday, when I was talking about Slack and how you can start threads from any single message so that you don't annoy everyone else with your one-on-one conversation or whatnot, I mentioned how I wished that that existed for group texts on phones. Well, it turns out that that feature is coming to iOS 14, so Apple users will soon be able to separate out inline thread replies in group texts. Of course, you will probably need everyone in the group to have an iPhone to really work properly. Otherwise, I expect it'll be like when an iPhone user tries to react to a text from an Android user or in a group text with one or more Android users, and it just shows up as a text reading, so-and-so laughed at, and then quotes the entire text again. Not great. But still, this will be really cool for any all-iPhone conversations, and thank you to Chris for pointing it out to me on Twitter. Feel free to send me other leads or just follow me to see more weird and cool things that I'm considering for the show that I post on my Twitter at JackIsNotABird, link in the show notes. With that said, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you tomorrow.